I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, made possible in part by Marie Sharp's Hot Sauce, hand-harvested, sustainably farmed, whole fruit and vegetables, certified, pesticide-free, and used within hours of picking, and by listeners like you. You can support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash theopenmind. I'm delighted to welcome to the program today, Fred Guttenberg. He is the author of Find the Helpers, What 9-11 and Parkland Taught Me About Recovery, Purpose, and Hope. It's an honor to host you today, Fred. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I appreciate you having me today, and so thank you. What would you say is is most on your mind these days, Fred, in terms of you know trying to be constructive in pushing forward the gun safety agenda it, it's it's a great question um you know listen since my daughter was murdered now over three years ago um we've done some amazing things in this country we flipped the house and i would argue on this issue we've changed the leadership in the senate and we've elected another president and I would argue this issue played a huge role in that. We have um, passed legislation in states across this country. Here's what's on my mind. It's the inability to complete the big job, the national legislation that really is needed to save lives. Everything else just isn't going to cut it. And and so the, the challenge and what's on my mind is the Senate. The Senate is the roadblock. They were the roadblock for all of these years. Um, and prior to the change in leadership to the Democrats and, and Senator Schumer, um, Mitch McConnell managed to avoid any discussion of this. Now we have the discussions, but there's no votes. What's on my mind now is how to break the filibuster. It is the only way to achieve progress right now not just on this issue, but so many others, and how we break the filibuster, how we get those last few holdouts, like a Senator Manchin or a Senator Sinema, um, to understand that um, this country voted for results, and if they don't deliver, they'll be back in the minority, and when McConnell is back, he will break the filibuster. We have to do this now. You have concluded with great precision that the way to rectify this um the you know the way frankly to honor the memory of your daughter and those other families who have been victims of gun violence is to break the filibuster being in a community of brave heroes and patriots that have stood up and identified the public policy reform that would help prevent these awful murders and disasters. Do you feel as though there is great unity among um, the victims and and families of, of victims that understand that this single institution of the filibuster is what is preventing common sense, logical reform? Um, the answer to your question is absolutely I do. Um, I, I Listen, I, I spend my days talking to 
other families, to victims, to groups that deal with gun violence, to members of the Senate, to members of the House, and to this administration. And I do believe, without question, people are starting to realize just how important that factor is. Um, Listen, we saw the Senate last week hold up having an investigation on how it is that our democratic institutions were attacked. And when you have a body that is capable of preventing anything from happening for whatever their motivations are, the will of the people will not be served. And right now, the will of the people is not being served. Right now, we're watching as Instances of gun violence continue, and our government is currently paralyzed from being able to do anything about it. And it will remain that way unless we break the filibuster. And until fairly recently, um, and, and I would say even through the beginning of the March for Our Lives movement, there wasn't necessarily that recognition that not only do we have to become the majority party, unless we become a supermajority, it is this single obsolete institution that is going to prevent national change. Yeah, listen, <clears throat> when, 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 I, when I started this right after my daughter was killed, my initial motivation was to actually break the gun lobby um, because I really did believe the gun lobby, through money and other political factors, held these legislators hostage. We broke the gun lobby. They're not what they once were. We've won elections on this issue. And yet, we are still not able to take the final step. The House is passing legislation. The president is ready to sign legislation. And we're still not able to take the final step. Because there is this one body that is just not responsive. And they're not going to change. You have, you have an entire party that has literally checked out of governing. That is no longer why they're there. And as long as that remains true, we have to move on without them. And there's ways to do that. But that also requires political will and courage. Um, but we've got to move on without that party. They're not a serious party right now. They're not serious about saving lives. When my daughter died, when all the other kids before her died, and when all the other kids after her died, we should all be throwing up our arms and saying, let's do whatever it takes. Many people are, but you have that one party in the Senate that won't. It's no longer even about the 10 people and how to get to 60 because you're not going to have that. It's now only about how you get to 51. What you're conveying, Fred, is that breaking the gun lobby, specifically exposing the NRA and eliminating the NRA and its lobbyists was not enough because even if the NRA doesn't have the weight um, of the lobbying power that it once did, these politicians 
are still beholden to their orthodoxy. So you can effectively, I think what you learned is eliminate the NRA, demonetize, defund the NRA, and still um, the, the legislators who represent you know, the Republican Party is not going to budge. If we had broken the NRA years ago, pre-Trump, I think that would have this this thought that breaking them would have been enough may have been true. But the party is not the party that it was back then. This is no longer a party that's really beholden to anyone but their own power and maybe one person. Um, so it's a different party than it was. You know, years ago, winning elections and breaking that lobby would have been enough. It would have been. But it things are changed. When that party can't even get on board with investigating January 6th, there you just need to go forward understanding they are no longer governing. That's not what their intent is. And so as long as we can accept that as a premise, and I do, um, it's time to move forward without them. We can do gun safety, but it's going to require the Democrats go it alone and win more elections. And by the way, I think if they do that, you'll get Republicans to come on board and vote for it because then they're going to have to go on the record. In terms of state reform, there are active political contests in Florida um, looking towards 2022, uh, specifically a Senate election and a gubernatorial race. Mm-hmm. Since you galvanized legislators to act in some modest ways in the immediate aftermath of the the murder of your daughter and the massacre at, at Parkland, you know what what else has been petitioned for in terms of state changes um, and and changes to state law that if you were to elect a Democrat governor, uh, Nikki Freed seems to be the most compelling one running on the Democratic side right now, um, that that things could change. Well, listen, um, and I agree with you, Nikki Freed is the most compelling one. And Nikki Fried has already won a statewide campaign, and she did so running on gun safety. Uh, so right now, Florida on this issue, um, I would argue, is moving in the wrong direction. You have a current governor and group of legislators who would uh, who are not committed to the laws that we passed after Jamie was killed and who are doing things that make Floridians less less safe. For example, some of the laws just passed on preemption. So a, a, a governor, Freed, um, can do a couple of things. Number one, uh, really fight for to strengthen the gun safety measures that we've already passed and to protect them, things like red flag laws, things like changing the age to 21, but to also um, to do more to maybe do something with the preemption laws so that the local cities in the state can do more to protect citizens, um, to maybe get rid of some of the draconian laws in the state that go even farther than PLACA 
and making it harder for people like me to sue the gun industry. Um, you know, Florida is a conservative state. It is not a state that's going to ban assault weapons. I wish that were the case, but I don't see it happening. Um, but it is a state that can maybe do other things like extending background checks to ammunition, like some other states are doing. We have 400 million weapons on the streets of America today. That's a fact. And so the way to save lives right now is through ammunition because those weapons don't work without the bullets. And if you're a prohibited purchaser of firearms in this country, you are by law prohibited from buying ammunition, but there's no background check required on ammunition sales. So anyone can go in legal purchasers, illegal purchasers and buy bullets. So there's a lot of things that a governor can do. Um, and, and we, we definitely need a change in direction here in this state. Do you yourself see the strategy for how that agenda can be politically salvageable, knowing what the outcomes were in Florida in 2016 and again in 2020, if you were advising Agriculture Commissioner Freed or for that matter, Congresswoman Val Demings in her Senate bid challenging Marco Rubio, what advice would you give them either together, collectively or individually based on who they're running against and and, and based on the political topography that you bear witness to every day in Florida? Run on what you believe and run across the state. You know, Nikki Freed ran from around every corner of this state telling people about the values that she believed in and she won. Um, I, I think too many people assume Florida is, is a lost cause for Democrats and they're afraid to run on what they believe in and they avoid parts of the state. Listen, the whole central Florida area is changing. It's really becoming um, very um, fertile ground for Democrats. Broward County, Palm Beach County still are. I would argue Dade County is as well. Dade County, I think what happened in the last election is something of deep concern. But the Democrats didn't nurture it. They didn't run there. And I think COVID played a big role in that because... While Democrats were avoiding that um, personalized uh, way of, of running for office, the Republicans were not. Um, but run on what you believe and run across the state. Do you believe that that authenticity is something that Democratic candidates have lacked in most recent election cycles? Specifically, if you were to look at Biden's campaign, he did do town halls even amid the pandemic in Florida it's not as if they were conceding the state and Biden is someone who personifies a, a kind of authenticity and decency in his politics. And, and I'm just wondering why you think ultimately Biden was not able to win Florida. Well, they didn't concede the state, but the national party did not. Listen, there are many people who are live here in this state, me included, who were, screaming and yelling for a while over our concerns around what we were seeing. 
um, and around the need for more resources and more attention. And it wasn't happening. Um, so I, I do believe um, that this state um, is not as lost a cause for Democrats as maybe some believe after the last election. Um, and I do believe that if you nurture some of the very unique interest groups in this state, uh, you have the potential to listen. You have the winning message. We have the winning message. There is no question about it. Whether or not you communicate that out is a different conversation. Do you think that uh, Demings and Freed have an equally formidable opportunity to win, or, or would you would you say that you think that the governor's office or the Senate seat would be a more likely uh, candidate for for um, for flipping. I, I think the governor race is certainly the harder of the two. I think DeSantis is going to benefit from a really strong economy, um, and he's going to take credit for the package of resources that was passed by the Biden administration. Um, and it's and it's a question of. How effectively um, candidate Freed can push back against that and remind people where those resources actually came from, and and how it was that COVID was actually finally resolved here in the state and across the country. But but DeSantis will benefit from an environment that looks good when people go to vote. That's the way it is. I think um, Demings. Is, is really well suited to defeat Marco Rubio. Marco has never been a loved candidate. Um, he just hasn't been. And while he will run strong in Dade County, um, you know, Demings will run strong in Broward and Palm Beach, but she'll own Central Florida. And that is different. Um, so, so I think she has a really unique chance and she's tough. She's not going to let Marco do his Weasley stuff, you know, his his weak answers and his tap dancing around issues um, the way he's managed to in the past. She'll take him on. Um, and and Marco is not a tough candidate. Um, he's been a beneficiary of some really, um, you know, uh, uh, slick times amongst, you know, you know, in terms of the way he's conducted himself, but I think Demings can beat him. Have you been heartened by reform in other states with the emergence of the Everytown movement and, you know, the Everytown for Gun Safety organization and chapters around the country? So even as Floridians, or at least Floridian legislators, have not delivered on the promise of that reform, are, are you heartened by what you've seen elsewhere in the U.S.? Well, I, I, I am. And, and it's, listen, and it's not just because of every town. You have amazing groups. I mean, I, I would argue, uh, you know, Brady does wonderful grassroots work and work across the country, as does Giffords. But you have tremendous grassroots organizations working in states across this country. And you see legislation passing in states across this country. Um, and so I am heartened by that. Um, you know, the problem is you're only 
as safe as your border. And, 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 you know, so guns travel across borders. You know, uh, New Jersey has passed some amazingly tough gun safety laws. One of the things that they've done as part of their package of laws is it's a requirement now to study every gun that's used in a crime and see where it came from. And 70 something percent of the guns used in crimes in New Jersey come from out of state. So, so they're passing tremendous laws and they are saving lives as a result. And I'm heartened by the states that are doing amazing work, but we need national legislation. You're someone who's invested so much political and emotional capital in this. From the perspective of your mental health and the mental health of parents who, who've suffered um, in, in the wake of, of these most recent episodes, all the way dating back to Columbine, um, the progress you can make in the political arena can address uh, or can, can help make you know, more livable, you know, what you've experienced, you know, can, can the political progress at all alleviate what will be and what is the indelible impact of this on your life? You know, as I sit here doing this interview and all the others that I do for my office, I do it staring at a picture of my daughter. Um, nothing brings her back. Nothing erases the scars that my son has, having heard his sister get shot. Nothing erases the fact that while people on um, Memorial Day were getting ready for barbecues in the beach, I was at the cemetery visiting my daughter. Um, nothing. Not a single thing. The only thing that gives me solace is knowing that I've found myself a voice in this movement um, that I hope will lead to saving lives. I, I live with guilt every second of every day that my voice wasn't a part of this movement before it was my daughter. Um, I was a guy who used to watch the news and I'd get upset for other people's kids but I didn't speak out and I'll never, ever get over that. Um, but I do now. And anything that I can do to push legislators in the right direction on this, not to remove anybody's second amendment rights. That's a bunch of BS, but to save lives, to reduce the gun violence death rate, to reduce the instances of gun violence, anything I can do, going forward to keep another parent from doing this is something that um, matters to me and that carries me every day of my life in the future. You are a testament to that resilience, Fred. Um, you know, we, I speak for many of our listeners, admire that Bravery. Do you feel as though the network um, of which you are a part um, is is fairly robust? And and you know, looking at the the incidents, not only in the school setting, but 
you know, the terrible examples of mass murder through gun violence over these last decades, do, do you find as though, you know, the community just gets more and more engaged um, and, you know, not, not only politically, but in terms of helping each other in your day-to-day lives and your struggles? Without a doubt, you know, listen, this network gets stronger. Unfortunately, it also keeps getting bigger um, because more people get shot. And we are racing against the clock. You know, the reality is in, in the absence of national legislation, we end up with more guns and more ammunition on the streets. Um Everyone knows it's well-documented, the gun surge that was literally unleashed during COVID. We have a Supreme Court now that seems ready to further weaken our safety. Um, And so we're racing against the clock. And And that leads me to my final question, Fred, which is that drumbeat of episodes of violence and you know, the extent to which it is un, unmitigated and uncontrolled because of those legislators who were unpersuadable or really just not able to process the way that we ought to process those deaths, uh, which is understanding that it is within our control. We talked about the, the strategy or tactics involving lobbyists, but Besides the idea that you have to elect Democrats and you have to break the filibuster to get anywhere on this issue, do do you find that there's any other ground that can be broken when it comes to those kinds of desensitized, unpersuadable folks, you know, governing in states where there are these episodes of violence and nothing seems to shake those legislators? You know... I, I think what I'll say is this, those legislators right now, sadly, um, at least at a national level, have stopped governing, period. It's not even on the issue, just the issue of guns. They're just choosing um, an unresponsive view uh, and position on, on pretty much all topics. And so, listen... I'll give you a legislator as an example. I don't know if he agrees with me or doesn't agree with me on gun safety. Adam Kinzinger, um, who is doing everything he can to be like a Republican of the past who actually does want to govern. I will do anything I can to persuade him. But there are other legislators who are clearly not interested in that conversation they're not interested in, in, in doing what the American people are voting for. I don't want to persuade them anymore. I want to defeat them. I want to defeat that cancer, which is infesting our government. Um, you know, people like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boebert, they're not going to be persuaded. They are miserable, unfit people, and we need to defeat them. Fred, I've seen you on all the major networks and channels. And it's really an honor to finally talk to you on The Open Mind. Um, And I I look forward to hosting you again. Fred Guttenberg, he is the author of Find the Helpers, What 9-11 and Parkland Taught Me About Recovery, Purpose, and Hope. 
really a special honor to host you today. Thank you for the crucial work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it.